good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, everyone. This is Mike Boyd with iRecon. Today, I am very fortunate to have Micah Tendor on the podcast. So, Micah, could you tell us a little bit about who are you and what do you do? Absolutely. I am the Senior Director of Kelly Blue Book Instant Cash Offer. Um, I've been in that role now with Cox Automotive for a couple months, about a quarter. Um, I first joined the Cox Automotive team with Mike, so just a little background for those of you who don't know. Mike and I are the ones that founded iRecon and grew it together. I've known Mike since 2008. Oh, no, I was definitely going to have to add in there that I'm not going to pretend like I do not know who Micah is. Obviously, (laughs) I consider you a close personal friend. Um, One of the things I wanted to jump in, so obviously we just got back from Digital Dealer, which was a huge success. Uh, great feedback from dealers, a lot of energy. I think everybody was just so happy to get back to some sort of normality and Absolutely. see each other. It was, you know, it was think- so nice to be at a show again and get to see dealers you haven't seen in a long time, see some of the other vendors you haven't seen in a long time, just start to yes. talk about things face-to-face again. And, you know, I played $20. I went to donate my $20 in the slot machines, and I won 350 So, I mean, everything was great, right? That's about as good as it gets for the car guy. So I figured I would follow Mike's example. I played $20 in the exact same slot machine uh, the on, in the morning that, before I left and immediately lost it. So I need to steal some of your luck, Mike. Yeah, you know that or just give me your $20 and I'll bet it for you. Yeah, even better. So speaking of digital dealers, so we both had a session. Um, of course, my session was on uh, pay plans and compensation plans and mm-hmm. whether or not they reinforce the behavior that our market needs. You know, because our market has changed. Yeah. What we should expect our employees and our coworkers to do is completely different from a year ago or two years or even three years ago. Yet when I got into business quite a few years ago, essentially pay plans are the same. Yeah. Which obviously doesn't make a lot of sense. And then, of course, I was uh, fortunate enough to catch your session, which do you remember the title of your session? Absolutely. My session was how dealers execute buy anywhere strategies. So we're looking at best practices from dealers around the U.S. who are buying vehicles from consumers and not just from consumers on trade-ins, but also using Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist or buying off garage sales. So it was a really interesting session um, to see how the market's kind of responding to to those changes and to the consumer's expectation of that, that interface with the dealer and trying to sell their car. And both sessions, like I said, was very, were very well attended. Um, now, of course, being digital dealer, obviously, that's a hot button with acquisition right now in the market. Mm-hmm. But being a digital dealer, you know, usually focused more on the marketing and the digital advertising side. Um, but a lot of people talking about compensation plans. And one of the reasons I want to get with you today, right after we got back, was a couple of the things you said in your session which I think directly tie into that whole thought process of mine of like how we have to reimagine that compensation plan to have people do what we want. So having said that, uh, you mentioned in one, on one of your slides, and of course you spoke to it, that setting protocol for the acquisition process. Mm -hmm. And it really made me think, so when I talk to dealers, of course, you know, I'm, I'm telling them you really have to double down on buying direct from consumers mm-hmm. and the consumer is the customer not just for buying a car you actually have to take it back i think a notch and look at it as that consumer as like the goal is just to get their car 
Yeah. And then the sale will happen, you know, automagically after that. But first, you know, nothing good or bad starts until you own a car. So let's focus and double down on buying a car. But as we put focus on that at the dealership level, I have really yet to hear anybody talk about that chain of events that has to happen to facilitate that sale you know, taking in that vehicle. And that's what you were talking about. Could you talk a little bit more about that of like, what are those things that need to happen if you are fortunate enough to get that customer and Hey, let's, let's do a deal. Let's, let's buy your car. Yeah. I think it's interesting because we, we've been talking to dealers across the U S about what they're doing. We're trying to figure out really what best practices are and what we can tell the industry from the, the source of dealers that we have to help guide best practices. And a couple of things that we found around it are you got to understand that when buying from a consumer, and particularly if it's not in the store as part of a trade-in, it's a much different engagement process, right? If, if someone's selling their car on Craigslist or Facebook, they have much different engagement than what you're going to see buying at the auction versus a dealer. So you have to start with understanding how you need to approach it strategically, right? You need to align your customer acquisition strategy to your overarching dealer strategy so that you know, are you going to buy every car when you go and look at it? Are you only going to buy cars that you need? And then also very importantly, what channels are you going to look at as part of the acquisition process? Are you going to look at service and trade-ins as a channel? Are you going to use an external lead driving tool like KBB ICO? Or are you going to go the step farther and start doing social media marketing of your own, trying to draw in customers who want to sell their car? And then you have to follow it down the process map, right? So the next step in the process is ensuring that your salespeople are trained on how to do an appraisal properly in a way that will will adapt to the current customer's needs because the customer needs are changing and customers are showing up now knowing their their vehicle's value. You got, so you got to make sure they're trained. You got to make sure they know that there's some air cover because this is a new and different experience. So you need to make sure that your dealership staff know what they're allowed to do and know what's safe for them to do. And then one of the big ones that's hard to figure out sometimes is for each channel, you need to determine how are you going to pay for the vehicle and how are you going to acquire the vehicle? What I mean by that, that is was the piece that was actually the piece I want to jump in first. Um, I'm going to write down air cover because that, that was something you had mentioned. And I think that's something very important to bring up here in a second. But facilitating that purchase, mm-hmm. that's where you were just getting into. Nobody ever talks about that. Great, Micah. Thank you so much for coming in here. I just took a look at your vehicle. I can offer you $19,000. You say, okay, great. That works. But then you're not buying the car. Yeah. What does the dealership do at that point? I I think that's a great question. And interestingly, it's different for the different channels, which is why I think it's strategic as a dealership to determine where are we going to pursue vehicles? Are we going to do Facebook Marketplace Craigslist and buying from garage sales so to speak because if you think about it if i'm selling my car on craigslist i've looked up the value and i've posted on craigslist if you as a dealer contact me and say you're interested and you want to execute the deal i am expecting the same thing i'd expect when i interact with a normal human i'm expecting you're going to pay on the spot and we're immediately going to go transact the title i'm going to hand you the keys i'm going to dedicate two or three hours of my life to this and the vehicle is going to be gone all right but with the dealership how are you going to pay are you going to pay with a check how are you going to get the vehicle is someone going to go with them to the to exchange a title are you going to make them come to the dealership how are you going to pick up the vehicle so for each channel you have to think of it from a customer's point of view and get an expect an understanding of what they're going to expect and then see how far your dealership is willing to meet in the middle 
and build that plan out for each of those channels specifically. Okay, so would you say then, and, and I really like where your head's at, and I really like what you're talking about, because it's one thing to say, hey, we want to sell cars online. It's a yeah. whole other thing to sell cars online. And we usually figure it out by tripping over the customer on our way to finding out the better way. So obviously I'm a process-oriented person. Yep. When we talk about setting up protocol, so really there should be a book. There should literally be a book and say, hey, if these are the three, four, five, or whatever that number is, ways that we can transact purchasing, you know, on a customer's uh, vehicle to buy their vehicle, if it is a title in hand, how long until the check is ready? What are those checks and balances to make sure that the title is actually clear and doesn't have electronic lien? Yep. When are we going to hand over? You know, all of those things need to be clearly written out so that way we don't drop the ball. You know, we don't ruin that experience, still end up buying their car, but completely ruin the experience where either they leave unhappy, they still got their money, but they're going to leave unhappy because we look like we do not know what we're doing, which of course could lead to them definitely not coming back and purchasing a car. Yeah. What I think is interesting about the consumer acquisition side is forget about selling another car for a minute. You get a car, right? Which right now, as you like to say, Mike, the car is the star. So you get a car, which is a win. But also you, if you're doing it right now, have a new customer in your CRM. You have a new marketing opportunity. You have a new sale opportunity down the road. You have a new opportunity for referrals. So you're absolutely right that when engaging these customers in this process, you really want to have a focus on the customer experience because you want to capture that customer so you now have a new customer. And everyone has their own different way of calculating the value of a customer. But just so by the buying the car, sale, whatever the customer's worth, you just added that to your dealership's bottom yeah, line. Yeah, so the new sale is the purchase. It is. I, I mean, I, that's actually a term we can probably coin right now because we've spoke about this before. Yep. But if you look at where the market's at, since nothing good or bad happens until you have a car, and if the customer is choosing to reinvent the way they purchase by going through their trade-in first, what's wrong with that? So and if we put as much importance on that CSI, that customer satisfaction of that process, that in itself will lead to additional sales. But we have to focus in on that, right? Agree completely. And I really like something you said there. You said that the customers are changing in the way that they engage in this process, and they are. I mean, historically, customers haven't had a very good understanding of the price of their vehicle. They might get a price range somewhere and they show up and they're hoping to be in a certain price range. But through the COVID period, that's really changed. And KBBICO recently did a survey of consumers looking to sell their vehicles, asking them, what is the number of solutions that you use to value your vehicle? And it was interesting because we saw that 65% of all consumers we're going to get between one and three sources of value online. One and three exact offers, not just a range, but one and three exact offers. As we look more down the line towards younger generations, we see that about 25% of total consumers, not just younger, total consumers are going to get somewhere between four and six quotes. And that really obviously goes up if you're looking at digital natives, you know, millennials and Gen Zs. And then some of the super young people, you know, digital natives like Gen Z um, are looking at eight plus sources. So whether you're 75 years old or 18, there's a 97% chance that the person walking into your store has one to three price offers on their vehicle. So it's, it's 
that idea of giving a customer a good experience is much different knowing the customer's coming in with an idea of what their vehicle's worth. You can't hit them super low and walk them down if they know I their vehicle's 3000 more. Them with a solid offer. Yeah. A solid offer. This is what I'm willing to pay for your car. Because that right there, I would have to guess, and this isn't a educated slash uneducated guess, but if the older generation is looking is getting between one to three offers on their vehicle before they come in, it's because they're not as digitally native as the younger generation. So they're aware of one to three. If they are aware of four, pretty sure it's going to turn into four. So as you get younger and you're more ingrained in the digital side, then you're obviously going to be aware or at least have access and know where to get access to additional outlets to get even more quotes on your vehicle. Yep. So for any dealership in this day and age to approach a deal like, oh, let's just try them on. Let's, you know, it's worth 10, but let's hit them at eight because I think I can hold them all bad. Because I've, I've never, I mean, we talk about there's a couple of big players out there. We don't have to say the names. We all know. As soon as you somebody says there's a couple of yep. big players, we all know the names. Um, I've never heard of them calling somebody back and saying, oops, I talked to my manager and we really like your hairstyle. So I think I can get you a little bit more money if you do the deal today. I agree completely. And the other thing to think about is the different life positions that these generations are in. And what I mean by that is. Those 75% of older people who are getting one to three sources, overall it averages out when you have all generations, 65% use one to three sources, but older generations, 75% are going to have one to three sources. They don't need the, the deal as bad. They don't need the value of their vehicle for a trade-in as bad. They're not as in much of a hurry to buy a new vehicle. But if you look at the other side, if you look at Gen Zs who are just starting to buy and millennials who are becoming one of the strongest driving forces on the buy side, they have less disposable income. They're in more of a hurry. They have a higher debt burden. So they're also looking for a faster experience, a quicker access to the equity of their vehicle, and they want the maximum dollar for their trade. So when these two things line up, it creates a really interesting conundrum for dealers because someone comes in knowing the value of their vehicle, plus they have to get that value out of their vehicle to buy their new vehicle. And as we see new vehicle prices going up, it's going to continue to, to trend towards needing the max you can on your on your current vehicle to flip as equity into your new vehicle. Well, so back about to your think about this for a second. If you look at the older generation, which I, I think I, I'm pretty sure I, I count as one of the older generation, which does not make me feel good at the moment. But if you look at um, what you were just saying, I have other vehicles. Mm -hmm. I have a spouse. I can transact and walk away and not have to get something right away versus a younger generation that, hey, maybe I am the only person in my household. Yeah. Maybe walking is not what I want to do when I, once I sell you my <laughs> car, so I need access to the money to transact on my next deal. So there are other mitigating factors in that decision-making process. Yeah, there are. And what you said about hitting the customer right when they came in, come in the first time, I think is one of the key things that the market needs to adjust to going forward. If the consumers know what their vehicle's worth, and if the consumers have one to three or one to six other price options with a dealership name attached, even if it's one of the ones that we don't like to mention, you can't roll in and hit them at two grand low or they'll walk out. And very interestingly, my father-in-law 
just bought a Subaru Forester and he was trading in another car for it. And he went to a dealership where he's bought his last three vehicles and they offered him an amount that wasn't within the range that he thought his vehicle was worth. So the dealership gave him something. It was They offered him 500 less than he knew he could get elsewhere. The man who's bought his last three vehicles from that dealership and has worked at one job for all but two years of his adult life left his tried and trusted relationship over $500 on the trade inside. So the idea that customers don't know and the idea that we can hit them low and walk them down is gone. We you have to start hitting customers right. We need to start, you know, strategically, right? Look at where you need to be strategically in price to market, walk backwards to where that puts you cost to market and then put the money on with a big focus on recon, obviously, because that's going to affect your margins. So when we talk about this process so we just talked about hey okay we have to be able to handle the money end of the transaction mm-hmm. but long before we get to the money end of the transaction there's a connection yeah or the person actually comes in so where's your head go when we talk about salespeople? because you mentioned like salespeople earlier so a salesperson is not selling something in this interaction so would you immediately take that person let's say to you micah you know, you're mm-hmm. looking to sell your vehicle and just tell a salesperson, hey, just hand them off to a manager as fast as possible or tell them to go sit in the corner. Or would you use the salespeople as part of that valuation process? That's a good question. So I will tell you what we know the market wants from a buying perspective, what experience they want, and then how I would craft the the dealership engagement based on that. So In the survey we did, one of the things we looked at was the emotional function. And it's really just what emotions need to be met as part of the sales process. And it can be grouped into three things. One is that consumers want to know they're getting the maximum amount for their vehicle, right? So if I have a navigation system, I don't want it to be missed and the value of the navigation be excluded. Um, Two, they want to be knowledgeable on the value of their vehicle, be knowledgeable on the on the market, be knowledgeable of how dealers are gonna to try to screw them so that they can get the max amount for their vehicle. And three, and this was the one that really kind of caught me off guard is they are very interested in having camaraderie in the buying experience. They are looking for someone to share in that car selling, dealership car buying experience with them. So knowing that, I think if you roll a manager out they're automatically going to get that fight or flight instinct. When a manager comes out in a car dealership deal, as a consumer, history shows they're there to try to drive the nail in the coffin, right? They're there to close me. And that makes people uncomfortable. So knowing that the emotional function is they want a collaborative sales process and buy process, I I think it's essential to have your frontline salespeople walk out, walk around the car, have that process in place to engage a customer, but make it more of a partnership. You know, you and Brian on your last podcast talked about how he empowers his salespeople to appraise vehicles. And I don't remember the exact number. He quotes super high number of appraisers he has because all the salespeople appraise. And he said something very interesting because he creates that collaborative experience. And he said the customer will point out damage that the salesperson missed because they don't want them to get in trouble. And I think that's what we need to get to in the market. So here's what's really funny. So I'm going to take you back quite a few years. When I first got into business, you know, back when it was more about selling horses than it was cars, maybe not quite that far back. Um, But we would do what we call a silent appraisal. So essentially what we're talking about is doing our jobs. That's the funny part. We're not talking about bringing in a brand new way of appraising vehicles. 
that was the correct way to appraise vehicles when I got in the business, but it just wasn't enforced. And that was literally, you would have a three sheet paper, you know, carbon paper, mm-hmm. and you would write down, I'd be like, Micah, you know, let's, let's go out to your vehicle. And I'd write down all the information on your car. I'd get the VIN number, the miles. And then I would walk around your vehicle with you and say, okay, Micah, let's actually take a look at your vehicle and you can give me any information. Have you done any recent service? Yeah. When did you last have brakes done? Hey, let's take a look at your tires. Ooh, this tire is at the wear bar. Let me show you where the wear bar actually is on the tire. Yeah. Maybe touch, run my hand along a dent and not say anything, which is like truth serum. You know, I gave Mike a truth serum. He's telling me, ah, yeah, you know, I accidentally hit this and whatever. But when you say collaborative, I'm bringing Micah into the fold. I'm saying, hey, look, we're going to put our heads together. We're going to walk around this vehicle. We're going to get all the information. We're going to agree or disagree, but we're going to come together and we're going to say, hey, this is the information we have. Now let's go into the actual numbers. How much is it going to cost to get this car? Because at the end of the day, Micah, I have to sell this vehicle. You get to walk away. So you want top dollar, which is totally understandable. And I want to give you every dollar I can, but I can't give you money your car's not worth. And walking you through that collaborative um, method is a much easier transaction. It it just always is. So essentially, I just want to make sure everybody listening, we're not talking about creating a new way of doing things. We're just saying, hey, look, the correct way is the way we should have always been doing it. But now the consumer is demanding it because they have access to information. And when they go on these third-party sites and they're getting these offers for their vehicle, what's the first thing they do? They enter all that information Mm -hmm. of, hey, has the car been smoked in? Do you have two keys? Has there been an accident? When was the last time the tires were replaced? All that information that you are inputting, so now you're collaborating, and then it's coming up with evaluation. Yep. And that's what that's what they trust, right? That's what consumers they trust. trust it makes perfect sense. It does. And if you think back to that, you, one of their emotional function needs is to understand the process the dealer's going through so they don't feel like they're getting ripped off. That's exactly it. What you talk to is exactly it. So now you're meeting two of their emotional functions, that collaborative engagement and, and um, visibility, peace of mind, confidence in the buying process. Because... I, as the dealer, just walked around the car. We agreed on all this damage, and we sit down, and I say, I'm going to try to sell this car for 23.5. It's going to take me – you saw the damage. We agreed there's dents. It needs new tires, and there's paint chips on the hood. With my guys, it's going to take me about two grand to get that done. So from 23.5, I'm at 21.5. I got about 500 in taxes. So I'm going to put it at 23.5. The best I can give you is 21. And so I, I would love to transact. I'd love to have this customer. So we're almost talking about the History Channel, the show Pawn Stars, yeah. and Pickers. They go into people's homes and say, hey, let me go ahead and take your price possession off your wall, and let me tell you what it's really worth, and let me tell you what I'm going to be able to give you because I still need to make a buck. And what's exactly. funny is at the end of it, they're all hugging and kissing everybody's fine. Or Pawn Stars, people bring in things, and they get an expert appraisal. And they actually come together and say, okay, look, I still have to make a buck on this. So that's what we're saying. We're just saying, hey, let's make sure we get the information. Yep. Let's make it make sense. 
and then try to make it as easy as possible for that deal to transact, which the deal in this case is that purchase of their vehicle. Now, and, you mentioned, though, the salesperson. So are you saying that you like that idea of the salesperson selling the purchase of their car rather than selling them a new car? Because this is different, right? Yep. I do. And I think there's two things to it. One is what you always say, which is the car is the star. And in the, particularly in this current era, we need to acquire inventory, right? Dealers have to acquire inventory. So salespeople need to wear the hat of buy the car from the consumer. Even if you're not going to be able to sell a second one, you have a way to stock your inventory. You have them in your CRM now, so they're a future customer. So we want those salespeople out there with a heavy focus on if a car shows up, get that car into inventory as long as it matches your strategy. But secondly, if we really focus on the emotional needs of the consumer, let's be realistic. Most of us are emotional. Most of us are reacting based on emotion. So we need to be very focused on their emotional needs. And that emotional needs of a collaborative, engaging process is easier when it's not the boss. No, I, I agree 100%. So now let's tie into what I was talking about. So in my session, I've well, I've been talking about this for a long time, but in the, the actual session, I, I started breaking down the difference between pay plans and compensation yeah. plans. It was awesome. And the first piece was a pay plan. You know, what is where's the actual dollars and cents? And what is that behavior we're trying to influence? Because really, that's what a pay plan does. And a yeah. compensation plan, obviously, is everything. Uh, the why be an employee here. And the things that we do, that's your total, right? Your total comp. So when we talk about having a salesperson, which I personally hate the term salesperson because the market's changed. We're not selling yep. much. We're sales facilitators, right? Agreed. If we do our job correctly, we're sales facilitators. So you with know, like that understanding that if we want them to concentrate on taking the car in and appraising it correctly, then we need to tie their pay plan and total compensation plan around those behavior that will drive a higher look to book, a higher success rate, correct? Agreed. Agreed so completely. the sell is the acquisition of the car and they should be compensated for that. I think that's fair. And I think it's something that absolutely can be measured and improved upon. Yeah, I mean, one, you mentioned your session. If you guys haven't and weren't able to attend, um, I would encourage you to in some way find one of the slides Mike had because it, it outlines what is the difference between a compensation plan and a pay plan and a compensation structure and a pay plan. I have honestly never seen so many cell phones come out of pockets to snap a screenshot in a session as I have. And it's really interesting because it, he talked a lot about the emotional factor again, the emotional function, the same thing as driving the consumer side. But what do the salesperson need? What does the manager need? What do the people in the dealership need? So um, one, it, it was really informative, and it's not just to try to, you know, promote my friend Mike Boyd. I've hey, not I seen such that. strong response from a dealer dealer body before. Um, but I agree with you completely, Mike, because one of the things that we know people in a dealership are looking for, because it's something that, according to researchers, is something that people are looking for, period, in their job, is to know where I'm going in the future and have control over my own destiny. Those are the two things, if you look at Harvard Business Review research on what are the driving needs of people looking for a job and in a job, it's those two items. And those two items are what are being delivered in this instance that you're talking about. You're enabling the salesperson to have control over their own destiny, right? You give them the opportunity to bring a car in, 
You give them the opportunity to generate revenue on it, and you give them the opportunity to stock a car on the lot that they can sell again in the future. So you're giving them, a, you're giving them that that control of their own destiny. Which they, is a higher motivator than the actual dollars and cents that you're paying them. Yeah. That proves that out. But hey, let's take that back another step, or as my good friend Lance would say, let's peel that onion back a little bit. So you've been around dealerships your entire life because mm-hmm. you're a family. And of course, I started off chasing bumpers quite a few years ago and moved my way up. And for those of you who are listening, because I've actually had a dealership say, what do you mean you start off chasing bumpers? That is a term in the Midwest means you sold cars. You actually <laughs> started off selling cars. So I just want to let everybody know. But right now, I would challenge every dealer who's listening, if they have not heard a salesperson say when a customer comes in and the salesperson goes out and says, hey, you know, welcome to XY dealership, how can I help you? Which I'm not saying is the correct way to introduce yourself, but that's what we say a lot. And then that person says, well, I'm not looking to buy anything, I'm just looking to sell my car. It is like cold water gets thrown on the salesperson. They're like, oh, yeah, let me go get a manager. Go sit in the corner. And then then the customer sits in the corner while you try to find where the manager is. And then the manager, who's doing a million different things, goes, what do you need? Well, somebody here wants to sell you the car. And you're like, he's not interested in buying one? No, okay, well, just tell him I'll be out in a little bit. And if you think it just trends south, that is current market. It is. And if you think about that compared to the unmentionables that we're all competing against that you referenced earlier. They, they are putting more focus on your car than selling you a car. Because they correctly understand that it's two things. One, a way to stock your lot, right? One of them who just finished their quarterly review. So if you Google it, you can figure out which one that is. Um, had a 70% replacement rate. 70% of what they sold versus what they acquired. They could have stocked 70% of all their sales from consumer acquisitions and that's going up yeah it's increasing what is interesting is something you said and i didn't know but we're seeing a decrease in the market of of look to book meaning from the number of times you look at a vehicle to the number of times you book an inventory how good you are at that appraisal process they are increasing 23 percent for those who have not did not attend the session or haven't listened to it uh the number is actually 23 percent. so nationally the look to book the success rate is 23%. So that's almost 80% of the time we're not taking those cars in. And why would that be that the national look to book is going down with the heightened importance on acquiring vehicles? Sounds to me like people are going elsewhere and we're pushing them elsewhere. Yeah. And that's why we see the drastic spike in some of those public traded companies who are the big competitors out there that no one ever wants to mention. You see Things like I think it was something like 79% growth month over month for the one who just released their numbers. So and yeah. let's be real in this market right now, for anybody to be pounding their chest about how great their sales are and that they feel like they're the greatest effort because they're making more per copy, guess what? Everybody is. Yeah. You, and you it's can be hard to make a bad acquisition decision. It's yep. hard to put too much money in a vehicle when we've seen things that literally whatever you think you overpaid for today, wait 60 days, wink, wink, it's probably going to be worth more. Yep, you got customers willing to pay above MSRP for vehicles right now, right? Just to get them. You can be the worst. You could be. You could look like a genius and be the worst salesperson, worst sales manager, worst run dealership ever right now because we're at record high margins. 
But so at some point, that's going to write, write itself, right? We're going to reach market equilibrium. And what I like to encourage dealers to think about is having a, a diversified acquisition process. I've heard you say a hundred times, there is a right time for every form of acquisition, the auction, the service, laying a trade in. Uh, but if you don't have a solid plan built around how to get consumer cars, you won't be able to pivot in time. Right? So you have to and, chase the market down, trying to figure out how to be relevant in that market. And really, I think we can encapsulate this all by something you said earlier, Mike, which is you said this isn't something new. It's what we all know we're supposed to do. What I think is seems to be trending in the market is that we all are starting to get an idea of what we need to do around consumer acquisition. Now, this data around the number of vehicles that people are shopping for and the emotional functions new, and that's going to help guide things. But if we would take the time, if each dealership would take the time and put the same focus on building a successful process to acquire vehicles, to recondition vehicles as they do to sell vehicles, I think we would see a pretty quick turn in the look to book. It's nothing new. If I tell you you need to develop a way to pay customers, you need to figure out how quickly you can give them, um, you can pay them, how quickly you can validate the title. Can you do accelerated title? That's all stuff that we've already sorted out on the sales side. We have a full end-to-end -end playbook for it, as you referenced earlier. So it's just a matter of putting enough proper attention to build out the full strategy and the full process map on the customer acquisition side. So therein lies the opportunity. So if we know the market has changed and it'll keep changing, it's never going to stop, keep speeding up. You know, I say that every time I speak. Mm -hmm. If we understand that, and right now we're in a a very unique situation. We've never been in this situation in the automotive industry before, where if you have a car, you're probably going to sell the car and you're going to make yep. a lot of money. So shouldn't this be the time that we take the opportunity to level set and reinvent our internal processes? Yep. Maybe really think about that salesperson being a sales facilitator and that the sale may be the purchase of a vehicle or the sell of another vehicle yeah and then align pay and compensation plans to drive the behavior to create the right environment where micah would want to sell me his vehicle because at some point maybe micah comes back down the road if not right now and buys another vehicle and we do see the data we understand a lot of times that even though micah may be approaching the deal the way he wants which is, I want to know what you're giving me for my car because that's mine. I own that. Mm -hmm. You own your car. We do see that the minute that's handled, that they say, okay, now I'm in acquisition mode. Now let's talk. You took care of me through that. Yep. I feel more comfortable. I have a good understanding of how you do business. Now let's transact on the next one. Yeah. And a high percentage of the time, right, customers are looking to buy that replacement vehicle to your point, And they want to roll the equity. Very few people want to put their equity in their pocket in a form of a check and then buy something fresh. They want to roll that into the new sale. So agree with you completely. I think what we saw in our latest survey was 60% um, of the time customers are buying another vehicle. And <clears throat> that 40% sounds high, right? 40% of the time the customers are just selling a vehicle. But you have to remember that customers are well aware of the chip shortage and well aware of the damage to a dealership. Now you can look at the KBB has done a survey of customer understanding and expectations with the chip shortage. And they just released the second round of it. They looked at it back in Q1 and they looked at it again at the end of Q2. And consumers are aware of the chip shortage, expect it to impact their buying decision and are aware that prices are high. 
Now they also have access and we know that they're shopping one to six um, pricing tools. So it's natural to think that if people have some excess vehicles, have a vehicle grandma unfortunately just passed and they have grandma's vehicle, they're going to be looking to relieve some inventory. So we're seeing probably a little bit of an inflated straight sale. But one thing we do know is customers are starting to disjoin the sale from the acquisition. And that's back to this idea that they're price shopping and younger generations need more equity in their vehicles. So they're going to go to wherever they can get the best price. The education is there now. That's the thing. So we've seen that change from the dealer holding all the cards, the only one who truly understands the worth of a vehicle, to the Internet. To yeah. where now people started looking up across different markets what that vehicle is worth and now they have access and they're being courted by everyone they are the bell of the ball if they have a vehicle and they understand they're looking up that information which i think is a very positive thing if i look back in my career the best deals i've ever made weren't the highest profit they weren't the lowest profit. They're just the best deals where we both shook hands at the end and everybody felt good were the ones where either I knew them or a friend had referred them or for whatever reason, we had a great relationship and we just talked. And it was yeah. just about, hey, let me show you real numbers. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like that salesperson gets the sales manager and the sales manager gets involved. And he goes, look, I'm going to cut straight to it and talk to you like a real person. Yeah. And then magic happens. I think that you're touching on something interesting, Mike, and I don't know if we'll have time to talk about it in detail, but people are no longer loyal to brand. I think we, we know that through research. I think, and I, don't, I haven't seen any research to prove this, I think people are loyal to experience now. I, than, I think you're, no, that's it's exactly right. Because if you look at the market, cars, there used to be a very big difference between the uh, satisfaction rates of different brands the experience of different brands but now because of how competitive the market has been and Mm -hmm. is how much of a difference csi makes and that consumer journey makes to the dealership for their floor plan for everything the overall experience and the overall quality of the cars has led to consumers feeling very comfortable moving from that car that they first got that brand that took care of them yeah. because they feel really comfortable the next brand is going to take care of them too and if it doesn't they have a voice somebody's yeah. here somebody's going to take care of it so brand loyalty you're better off throwing all of your weight on the experience and what's unique about your vehicle or your line of vehicles yeah. and then catering that customer for that so i i think you're absolutely right Especially yeah. in a market with constrained inventory. Yeah, for sure. And if we can't get them to come back because they're used to buying the same vehicle, you can get them to come back because Mike and Micah had a really good interaction. Mike treated me the way I would want to be treated. Mike gave me it's very collaborative. Me, yeah, the collaborative. Back to those emotional functions. Mike met my emotional functions, so I had a good experience with Mike. I'm going to go back. It's just like when we find someone to to fix our vehicle right if you're looking for an independent mechanic you find someone you trust they may be ripping you off for all you know but for some reason you had a connection with them that made you feel like you could trust them now you're you're going to go to them repeatedly you're going to tell everyone you know about them it's just the way it works it's it's not that they gave you the best price it's that they made you feel a certain way so i think we're we are the industry shifting and i agree with you completely it's the perfect time 
while margins are high on vehicles, or I shouldn't say necessarily margins are high, but while you're getting some some record prices on vehicles, depending on how well you can get into it, your margins might be high too. But while we're getting some record prices on vehicles, it's a good opportunity to start putting some of these changes in place. Absolutely. Because it's not going to ever go back to, it'll be a new normal, right? That term new normal is mm-hmm. never going to be the old way. And if it ever does, it's going to be a lot of years before we get to that situation where we have such a glut of inventory. So, yeah, I, I think we definitely need to take the opportunity to reinvent our structure, rethink our go-to-market strategy, mm-hmm. look at those pay plans and those compensation plans and the behavior that we are actually trying to enforce because it is different. It is absolutely different. I agree completely. I like, I like the sculptures behind you, by the way. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. So let's talk about two or three key takeaways that you think is the most important thing that our dealer should take away from this conversation. So if I'm looking at it, it's the change in consumer expectation. The consumers now have an understanding of what their vehicle is worth. They're price shopping it. And there's an emotional need that they need to meet. We need to think about those parts first. If we hit the customer too low, they're going to walk. And if we give them a bad experience, they're going to walk. And they have other people in their phone, in their email, in their text messages who have reached out to them and want to acquire that vehicle. So for me, that's number one. Number two is the combined thing that we talked about both in your session and my session, which is setting your dealership processes and tying your pain plan to it. You can't have behavior that you're not monitoring. You can't track it. You can't provide improvement. How am I supposed to improve? If I've never ran a one mile, how do I know how, how well I run a one mile, right? If I run it in six minutes, is that good? Could I run it in four? I don't know. I've never run it before. So we need to put some some practices and, and habits in place for that. Um, and then number three, I think it's to start – it's not necessarily anything we said, but it's what is being wrapped up in. We need to be very – comfortable with change as an industry. And we didn't talk about it in in depth, but we're talking about things changing. Processes that we've always known changing overnight. During COVID, suddenly customers have lost the information asymmetry, or we have lost the information asymmetry. Crutchers know what their vehicle's worth. Um, So we need to start becoming more comfortable with change and being willing to change anything it takes end to end in our business to make sure we survive. Think of it from a startup perspective. We need to be able to pivot rapidly to whatever the new norm is. So for me, it's customer expectations have changed. We need to build dealer processes around it and we need to start getting comfortable with change. What What do you think are the key things? I think you're spot on, absolutely. Um, rethinking the way we do things and those behaviors um, because the customer's desire and need is different. We've known what they've wanted. We've just never been in a situation where we had to change our behavior too mm-hmm. much we dabble in it we say hey we're a digital first dealership we're the friendly dealership you know we all sound like we're a really friendly great place to buy a car at that doesn't always translate well once the consumer actually shows up and we know the right. consumer is very interested and they should be in reversing our logic a little bit on that mm-hmm. how that transaction is going to take place and i'll go back to what i said at the very beginning which is i think we should concentrate even more on purchasing their car than selling them a car, because I think that will lead to more sales, especially in this market where if you've got a car, odds are you're going to sell a car because of constrained inventory. So less focus on selling them a car, more focus on buying them a car, which is actually what the consumer wants too. 
you'll feel more comfortable. You'll get an at-bat. And even, like you said earlier, even if they do not purchase a vehicle right now, they are in your CRM. You've created a connection. You now have a warm lead for follow-up. You are now a phone a friend. That is a wonderful place to be. So understanding we have to reinvent who we are, coming up with the protocol and having it clearly written out, which we didn't get into. And I know we're running short on time here, but you mentioned air cover. Um, I'm going to hopefully not butcher it, but this is what I took from your session. When we say air cover, which I commend you for mentioning that, very few people unfortunately, will do the right thing just because they know it's the right thing with total disregard to the fallout. Yep. So people have to be comfortable and enabled and empowered to do the right thing and understand that their managers are going to back them. Yep. Because, hey, guess what? I don't expect my appraisers to get a car 100% of the time. What I expect from my appraisers 100% of the time is great notes, great photos, clear clear understanding of what they would have expected me to spend to get that car frontline ready. And then if we do not take that vehicle in trade, we can go back and review it and understand why. Is it something we can change because our internal pricing is too high or does our appraiser not quite know how to estimate? Yep. Right. But again, that air cover piece is your people have to feel empowered, which is on that slide of one of the top things, right, that people mm-hmm. want as part of a compensation plan above and beyond just money is they want to feel empowered that they actually make a difference, that they're part of the team. Yeah, that's what we all want. We all want to feel like our voice matters in whatever it is, right? Whether it's a relationship, whether it's a friendship, whether it's work, we want to feel like what we're doing matters. And Absolutely. you're right, that's that's it. And then number three is hold them accountable. I always have to have, hold them accountable. But if they do not understand what they're going to be held accountable for, that is on the management team. Agree. Because most employees do not truly understand what a win is. What is good? What is bad? Because I know my children, they pretty much understand when dad's going to be upset. And then when dad does get upset, they're like, yeah, we saw that one happening. And you know what happens? They self-manage. They work within that structure that I've asked them to because they have clear understanding of what's going to happen if they do something wrong. But they also understand what they need to do to do right, which falls back to that protocol, right? Provide them absolutely right. Get that process in place. So communication. So thank you so much for taking the time, Mike. I really think there's more that we can discuss here, uh, but I wanted to get on a call real quick with you, um, get some of these thoughts because, like I said, we just got back last night from Digital yep, Dealer. Fresh. Uh, big buzzwords out there: acquisition, acquisition. Nobody has enough cars. The market has changed on how consumers want to give us their cars, so we definitely have to do something. And I know people. We're taking lots of notes. People are interested in that. And we have a whole- yeah, There are more people talking to you at the end of your session than me, which I personally take that at <laughs> That's okay. Um, but the other one was people talking about pay plans and compensation plans. Yep. And particularly- for employees. How do we yep. retain our employees? Well, it was a digital session and a ton of people were showing up to talk about pay plans, right? To hear you talk about pay plans. So it's and a hot topic right now. And, and these are a, the people who appraise cars. Yeah, exactly. Mike, it was a pleasure. I appreciate you having me on. Um, 
as always, I enjoy chatting with you, as you know, and look forward to next time. Absolutely. And there will be a next time. Thank you so much. And I'll talk to you all later. 